As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business. From liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal. And I'm Tracy Alloway. Tracy, um, you know, it feels like to some extent that inflation is uh, abating, is fading. Every time we start a podcast saying that, I think we're just jinxing (laughs) jinxing. it. But But sure. Well, we hope to be jinxing this one because there is one category that of uh, food, of goods that everyone is talking about uh, these days. Eggs. Eggs. We are. You, I, I am so excited to you, be talking about eggs. Well, you, there are going to be a lot of puns, I have to say. <laughs> you're excited. I, that's my, my warning for anyone listening uh-huh. to this episode is I'm going to crack a bunch of terrible <laughs> jokes. Or should I say yolks? <laughs> you, want, you, have more? you want to keep going? You want to keep going, Tracy? I'm a real comedian. <laughs> so egg prices are up a lot. And, uh, you know, it's also personal to you because in addition to all these puns, you are an aspiring egg farmer, aren't you? I am like an armchair uh, chicken breeder. Like I would love to raise a bunch of backyard chickens one day. I haven't yet had the opportunity, although now that I have two and a half acres in Northeast Connecticut, like maybe one day I'm getting closer. But yeah, my dream is to uh, have a flock of chickens, preferably silky chickens. Have you ever seen those? No, I don't know. They look like fluffy little muppets. (laughs) So some silkies and maybe some Easter eggers because they produce the really cool looking uh, eggs. And yeah, declare egg independence. Just have my own supply of eggs. So how about this? I have a good idea for this episode. How about we like talk for about like five or ten minutes about why egg prices are going up and then just 30 minutes on sort of farming advice, just sort of like a pure agricultural episode. That sounds perfect. Also, you're going to have to include 10 minutes for me to just like give all the random egg facts that I know. Well, okay, okay. maybe we should also let the guest give a random egg facts. Okay, okay, if we have to. (laughs) No, okay, eggs have suddenly become a big talking point, and I'm a little bit unclear why, because egg prices have been going up for a while. There's been this big outbreak of avian flu in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world. Feed prices have been going up, and so we did see, for instance, benchmark egg prices. There is a egg price benchmark um, go up, I think, something like 300% over the past year. Was like a dollar for a dozen Midwest US eggs, and now it's up to more than four dollars. Uh, egg CPI, which you can egg CPI, yeah. which you can measure, is up I think fifty nine percent year on year. 
but it has been happening for a while, and yet it seems to have exploded yeah. into the public consciousness I mean, relatively the, recently. That egg CPI chart is pretty wild. We have it on the terminal going back to 1946. It's shooting higher, and I would say eggs, kind of like gasoline, are one of these highly salient prices that people notice right. in a way. They buy them regularly. They, you know, it's like a, you, you just know, you, you probably people have some intuitive sense how much they pay for eggs as opposed to, I don't know, how much they pay for like auto insurance. It's something it. you're exposed to on a relatively frequent basis. And it, it does become personal because the way that you buy eggs also impacts the prices you're seeing. So yes. if you live out in the country and you're buying eggs from a local farmer, the prices might well be lower than in the grocery store right now because my understanding is that it's the big big producers the supermarkets or the people who supply the supermarkets who have actually been hit the hardest by the flu all right well let's uh let's learn more from our guest we have i believe the perfect guest to talk about eggs and how to uh how to price them and uh, how to make them we're going to be speaking with glenn hickman he is the president of hickman's family farms a company that has 10 million chickens producing eggs uh, uh, overall in the uh, company. So Glenn, thank you so much for coming on uh, Odd Lots. My pleasure, thanks for inviting me. Uh, you know, before we even get into the price of eggs and all that, why don't you tell us a little bit about Hickman's family farms? Like, how big is it? How does it compare? How does it distribute? Like, just to describe, why should, why should we listen to you? Uh, well, thanks, Joe. I, it's, yeah. It's- it's the only job I've ever had. So um, if I'm not very good at it, I, I can't speak about anything else. So uh, our our business started in 1944. Uh, my grandmother had 500 backyard chickens and, you know, sold eggs to her neighbors off of the back porch. Wow. And I'm the third generation to run our business uh, along with my siblings. And we've expanded from grandma's back porch to a multi-state operation. We primarily market eggs across the Southwest from Southern Wyoming to Hawaii. And we've got about a, a, a nucleus of about 10 million laying hens. And we produce all different kinds of eggs. We produce brown eggs and white eggs and organic eggs and just about any type of, of eggs that are demanded by the consumers. So just before we dive into why egg prices are going up, follow-up question here, but can you give us the sort of, uh, I swear I'm not doing this on purpose, but the, <laughs> yes, the lay are. of the land, no, this one just came to me, the lay of the land when it comes to the egg industry. Yeah. So what proportion of America's egg supply comes from you know smaller farms or even independent backyard mm. breeders versus big industrial agricultural corporations? And do we import any eggs? I honestly have no idea. Uh, Tracy, the American Egg Board is our promotion and marketing arm of the egg industry. And everyone that has 75,000 laying hens and higher is uh, part of the American Egg Board and contributes to the promotion uh, of eggs. You know, that helps educate people and, and, and hopefully drives demand. So if you look at the, the 75,000 and up, I, I would suspect there's about 200 uh, farms across the country. If you look at the top 20 uh, in, the, in the United States, probably 80 plus percent of the eggs in the country are produced by the, by the 20 largest firms. There are, you know, there's been a proliferation of, of kind of backyard and semi-commercial uh, layers over the past 10 years as, you know, you know, Tracy, people get a little bit of land and decide that they'd like to have a few chickens and then 
face face the same thing that every farmer has is moderating their supply and demand and trying to come up with the right amount of products. So uh, it's there has been a proliferation of, of, of backyard and semi-commercial farms in the last 10 years. Mm. One of my core memories, Joe, when <laughs> I was like six years old, is going to a very big chicken farm in Arkansas and thinking it would be really fun to play with the little like fuzzy yellow chicks. Oh yeah. And I don't know if you've ever been to one, but like there are dead chickens everywhere or oh. at least there. So it turned into a bit of a nightmare, but this, I, I still want chickens of my this own. turned a little dark, a little quickly, you know, uh, just a, one more question about size. So it, uh, 10 million eggs, like where does that put you in the rankings? Just so uh, I get a sense of like what a mega producer looks like, mm -hmm. how many chickens would like some of the big, and who are the biggest producers of chickens? Calmaine Foods is the largest okay. uh, order of chickens in the country. They've got about, I think, 44 million birds. And uh, then there's there's several other uh, operations that are that come right under them. And, and so we're, we're so up big. there. You're up there. And we're up there. But there are, you know, there's a family behind Calmaine Foods. There's a there's a family virtually behind every single egg farm. Any anyone that thinks that uh, farming and especially animal production is is not uh, still family owned and operated is probably a little bit a little bit stretch of the truth. We're all we're all in this because um, you know it's a family business. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. So why don't we jump to uh, the, the topic at hand and talk about what's been going on with egg prices. So first of all, what have you observed from your own seat in terms of prices? How much have they gone up for you um, versus, you know, say a year ago? And what do you think is driving the increase? Well, Tracy, the, the, the egg industry by and large are, is price takers. You know, there's a market just like there's a market for corn and a market for soybeans and those kind of things. And so we price against that market. 
the previous three years, 19, 20, and 21, were some of the most horrendous years in terms of negative returns that the egg industry has ever experienced. So mm. whenever you have negative returns, you do have people that exit the business or downsize or those kind of things. And then when bird flu happened, uh, we, you know, we started to lose birds in uh, in February, and it's it's become you know it's it, it's not stopped. We have Hickman's um, is the last commercial farm to break. We had a a uh, farm in Colorado with three hundred thousand organic birds, and they broke on December seventeenth. So, it's knock on wood. It's been a month since we have uh, we've had a commercial farm outbreak, but it's mostly in the wild bird population. And, um, you know, if you're gonna bring air to everything from air to people from the outside to the inside of your right. barns, you have a, you have a chance for to, to spread infection. What happens, so how do you discover mm. the incidence of avian flu among your, uh, the population within a farm? How do, you, how do you, oh, we have it. And then what do you have to do at that point? Every single barn, every single aviary is walked every single day by um, the, 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 the caretaker of that barn. Okay. Any kind of surge in mortality, which avian influenza causes a surge in mortality, is immediately identified and uh, corrective measures taken. So maybe it's a, it's a situation where some hens got scared and they piled in a corner and those kind of things but you try to figure out why how to prevent that the next time with avian flu the spread of infection is so fast and so uh deadly that maybe one day you'll have 10 dead chickens in a barn the next day you'll have a hundred the next day you'll have a thousand and with just a very wow. few days you know the entire farm is involved in it so Wow. Avian flu is, is um, a disease that has been identified by the federal government as something that we need to address aggressively. So when you get identified as avian flu, the federal government mandates that the entire flock is euthanized. And that's what's happened in the in wow. the egg industry. So we've lost, you know, oh, close to 15 percent of our nation's laying flock just this year. Mm -hmm. Some of that has been repopulated already. But. Uh, a large amount hasn't and you know that's that's led to constriction in supply which at, in a commodity market you know they're either a, a demand surge or a supply um, deficit leads to higher prices we had this same situation you guys probably remember one that long ago but in uh you know in november all the news was about the scarcity of turkeys and high turkey prices because mm. Turkeys have been involved hmm. in avian flu too, and Thanksgiving is traditionally the highest demand for turkeys. So you had that confluence of high demand and restricted supply. What's happened in the egg business is exactly the same. The Our best uh, market for the year is always during the holidays when there's extra family occasions going on, when there's extra baking going on and those kind of things. So we had the maximum constriction of supply at the same time, we had our historical highest demand period since the holidays. You know, in terms of your, you know, all listeners would understand, we've been almost limit down every day in the egg market. So the prices are fast correcting as we've seen a reduction. Oh. Yeah. This is why I didn't really understand the timing because, like, everyone started talking about it yeah. right when prices actually started going down. So I have so many questions already, um, but on the bird flu itself, uh, one thing that I heard was like, 
it, it risks becoming endemic. So once a bird has the virus, they sort of like carry it in them at all times and it can come out again at a later date. Can you maybe talk a bit more about like how possible is it to eradicate mm. avian flu altogether? Or once it's widespread, does it basically just become something that you have to deal with constantly? Tracy, we can kind of compare it to COVID that there's been mutations that become more infectious but less lethal and and those kind of things and i think that's the same kind of pattern we're seeing with uh avian influenza so you know when when we think about eradicating um if that that ship has sailed we'll never eradicate avian flu because then the wild bird population right and as it mutates those wild birds you know are are super spreaders they they migrate they they uh uh, land in the same ponds that some of our domestic waterfowl use and and stuff like that. So, um, you know, there is there's you know talk of vaccine for avian flu, um, but that's a that's a different road that you know will will involve all commercial all commercial poultry, probably globally. And so it's it's really has to be well thought out, and um, it's probably a couple years away from having any kind of decision where there might be widespread uh, uh, avian influenza vaccines that we can start to use commercially. You know, I want to sort of, I want to get back to the current details in a second, but are there egg futures? Because I don't think I've ever seen them. And yet my the CME, I think, was founded as the Chicago Butter and Egg Board. Are there futures or do you have some other way of like hedging these kinds of risks as a major operator? No, we don't. Uh, I think that the the egg futures were kind of delisted in the early 70s because even back then the concentration uh, was so high that there wasn't enough liquidity to huh. to keep it from being manipulated. Oh, interesting. That's Wait, when you say the concentration, the concentration of production was such that, and is that still the case? Like, could there well, be an egg futures market? Joe, I'm 61, not 91. So okay. my, <laughs> fair I'm, enough, fair enough. My memory when I was 10 years old is fair a little enough. bit stretched. Joe, you and I can hatch a plan to yeah, okay. uh, relaunch egg futures. Um, so one other thing when it comes to what's driving up egg prices, and there seems to be a little bit of debate about whether it's mostly the flu or whether it's also down to factors like higher chicken feed or combina mm. some combination mm. of both. Can you talk about maybe the input costs that go into having a egg slash chicken farm? Tracy and Joe, when um, the Ukrainian war started, it really uh, added fuel to a fire that already existed. So our grain costs have just exploded and probably every businessman will tell you uh, between labor, utilities, and everything in our environment has just gone up, you know, exponentially in some cases. So the at some point in time, even though we're price takers, that has to be reflected in the selling price or you won't have anyone around to sell eggs. So um, there is a there is a degree of higher costs that have been reflected into uh, the price of eggs. And it, it kind of has to happen Our, you know, like you said, the corn price, you know, just blew up mm. when uh, the Ukrainian war started, and we haven't got much relief since then. 
I want to go back, you know, one of the themes that comes up on this podcast from time to time is how we pay the price during sort of inflationary surges of any sort. It's often us paying the price for a downturn that happened before. And, you know, a, a washout happens, uh, farms or entities come out of the market and then supply is constrained prior to this sort of like boom that it was actually a very rough couple of years for the industry. Can you talk a little bit about what it, you know uh, the last few years prior to this surge in prices, what was causing it and you know just the experience COVID itself and the pandemic and the sort of like initial uh, the initial effects that that had on egg production? Well you guys you know I think it's you know it's seen in, in a lot of industries you know when the price of oil uh, gets ugly yeah. and people stop drilling and the right. and semiconductors become too too many and people stop building new factories and, and those kind of things and then de- demand catches up and then the same thing happened with uh, egg supplies we have a we have a uh, situation where we had very very poor we we've had negative returns as an industry for three years running and that causes you know constraint of uh, of expansion capital and, and growth and that's kind of what happened and so now you know we're we're probably going to see some some growth in our in our country we have to uh we have several states that have mandated cage-free laws we have several large customers that have adopted cage-free as their uh future and in most cases a cage facility doesn't lend itself to an easy remodel to cage free. And that takes a lot of capital. So oh. I think that we're gonna see some constraints when it comes to expansion be- because of, of not really knowing what the market is gonna demand. And we'll have to kind of play that by years as, as the situation you know plays out. That's interesting. I, I just wanna go back. Those three years that you're talking about of bad returns, what was going on that uh, caused, I'm still trying to wrap my head, what caused those three rough years? Well, the, the price of grain started to, to go up, like I said, about three years ago, okay. and then just lit fire when the Ukrainian war happened. And, right, and to I see. In context, you guys, a laying hen, it's kind of, kind of, you know, works out this way one laying hen will eat one bushel of corn a year that one laying hen will also produce enough eggs for one person and so when the bushel of corn in some air and some uh uh our our cost went up by two and a half times then that's got to be you know reflected all the way down the uh the in rest of the food chain you know we we have a we have a policy in this in this country where you know whether you're talking about ethanol or biodiesel they come from food crops and you know when we are as a country we've made a decision that we're going to burn part of our food to make ethanol or, yeah. or refine part of our soybeans to make uh, biodiesel that does also carve into the supply that's available for livestock so just on, on on the sort of cyclical note, when it comes to, for instance, if you have an outbreak of avian flu and you have to destroy a large chunk of your flock, do you get compensation from the from the government for doing that if you're mandated to do it? And also a similar question for the transition to cage-free chicken raising. Do you get grants or something like that to, for hmm. the further capital Good investment? Question. So since the government government does mandate that you have to depopulate your farm, they do p- pay a, a bit of a stipend so that it 
basically pays through your cost of of depopulation, your cost of cleaning and, and disinfecting, and approximately the value of the birds that were in the barn at the time. It doesn't pay you for the loss of eggs. It doesn't pay you to buy a new chicken to put in the barn. So it really does lack, um, you know, a, a component of, of, of full compensation for the disaster that happened. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You know, since your company has been around for so long, I feel like you might be uniquely positioned to answer this, but I'm curious, like, efficiency gains over time in the egg business or, like, how much human labor is required in 2023 to produce I don't know, a million eggs versus how much it would have taken 20 years ago, et cetera. How has it changed over time and the operations of farming at scale that you've seen? And what kind of gains, you know, uh, how does it look different than if a time traveler had come from 20 years ago, the Mm. big changes? Joe, I looked at a study um, that goes back to 1960 and to kind of give you a, a ballpark. But if you take it from the production of corn through the production of the eggs, mm-hmm. four times as efficient today. That that acre of 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 grain production yeah. will produce four times as many eggs as it did in 1960. Wow! Almost all of that efficiency has been reflected in the marketplace. It's a highly competitive marketplace. So as soon as a a producer figures out how to cut their costs and they feel like they have a market advantage, they might reflect that in their price to win greater market share. And so um, I think that's, you know, the American consumer up until recently, um, you know, we, a a year ago uh, last summer in in 2021, uh, we were selling eggs for virtually the same price that we did in 1960. And so all of that, all of those efficiencies have accrued basically to society's benefit. You know, uh, you've mentioned several times that 
egg farmers are price takers. And I'm wondering, as you see the prices shoot up, and we see more and more people apparently talking about this, you know, it, here in New York, I think it's gone up from like two or three dollars per dozen eggs to like maybe seven or yeah, eight recently. Yeah. And I've seen some people on Twitter joking that the price of a carton of eggs is higher than the minimum wage per hour in certain states now. Do you see the consumers start to push back as mm. the prices go higher? I, I guess another way of asking that is, you know, how how elastic is demand for eggs? Egg demand is very inelastic, Tracy. What you do see at some of these higher levels is a family that might have bought um, five dozen eggs uh, might go in and decide, I'm only going to buy a dozen and a half or 18 eggs mm -hmm. and see if the prices come down next week. Wow. And we have seen that happen. So there's been some of that, you might say, consumer pullback. Also in the, you know, kind of the industrial uses, you know, if a uh, if a bakery is a commercial bakery might be making a recipe that takes 30 pounds of eggs per 100 pound batch of whatever they're making that might be you know cutting back to 29 or 28 to to you know mm. try to make the the egg supply last a little bit longer and there so there's all different kinds of coping we have retailers uh you know across the country some have reflected the the price of eggs um and and some have not and mm. so there's all kinds of different strategies that are deployed by retailers. And, and frankly, we, I can't begin to understand any of them. <laughs> um, just on this note, you know, if, if I'm a big food producer, say I'm Kraft Heinz or someone like that, and I'm buying an enormous amount of eggs per year, do I buy them on a long-term basis? Yeah. Do I have like an annual egg contract or am I going out every week and tapping suppliers? I don't want to speak to either of the companies sure, that you- Sure, sure. Just generally. Generally, if I'm a big yeah. egg consumer. We do. Yes, we, we have all kinds of different um, arrangements with our customers. So yes, some some of them do, you know, forward purchase, you know, six months or a year in advance, and some prefer to buy basically on the spot market. And and we have everything in between. So it's, you know, just kind of the, the strategy that, that that customer wants to execute. I'm still a little unclear. Okay, when you talk about the spot market for eggs, so let's say a grocery store um, that you distribute uh, uh, your eggs in, are they like, uh, I'm trying to think about how to frame the question, but is there like a, is there a de facto competition between you and other egg producers regularly and who gets that shelf space? Do they put out a bid? Do they put out a price? Like, how does that actually work? Uh, in practice, the setting of the wholesale price at a retail outlet? Yeah, generally, uh, you know, Joe, we've had relationships with some customers, you know, since the beginning of our company. And we've yeah. had other relationships that are annual bids. And sometimes you win the bid and sometimes you don't. And okay. we have everything in between. So there is uh, a lot of, 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 I guess, strategy that goes into uh, building your your universe of customers and and balancing you know you don't want a customer base that is a hundred percent medium eggs because you know chickens don't lay a hundred percent medium eggs so you have to kind huh. of balance that with what you with what your production is and what your what your desired customer base is. 
So in the current environment of higher egg prices, what do we see egg producers doing in response? Is it all out expansion to try to take advantage of the price increase? Or are you still a little bit cautious given, given the recent history of the past couple of years that you were discussing? What exactly do you do here? Tracy, we had a pretty, at, at industry-wide, I think, we had a pretty good hole to fill. And uh, so that was that was what happened with the with the earnings that when we started to experience the elevated prices due to avian flu. And so as a, I can't speak to the industry. I, I as a company, we don't see the demand for eggs um, warranting a, a, a big expansion. We're not going to, we're not going to go from our current flock size and add a million birds mm. just because there's a temporary shortage. Those, those cages that are empty due to due to avian influenza will be refilled at some point in time. And we're hustling to refill ours. And I'm sure everybody that has been affected is hustling to refill theirs. I see. So you have because you because you have spare capacity, there's no necessarily need for like extra capital investment. It's sort of just the natural process of repopulating the existing space. Would you about you might say a typical layer barn is designed to last 30 years. Okay. So, you know, there's there's three percent of the of the population that needs to be rebuilt or or start over every single year. And when you had a period of time where you where you really did had negative returns, you might have some deferrals that you need to catch up on. So I think there's you know, there's probably as as many answers to that question as there are egg producers. Uh, Glenn, I'm looking at your website, which, by the way, is is full of chicken and egg puns. So um, I love that. But there's a, there's a little press release on your on your what's cracking blog um, about you expanding into feed production in 2014. And I'm wondering if that kind of, I guess, vertical integration is the future for farms if they're dealing with, you know, the prospect of higher grain prices um, and things like that. Is that Mm. something we're going to see more of, egg farmers who are also producing their own chicken feed? You know, we're a little bit novel in that we are vertically integrated. We, we, We make our own packaging. We grow our own replacement stock. We we cook eggs in terms of hard boiling them. We have a liquid mm. egg plant. We uh, we actually the the what you're reading on there is back then we built a, a new feed mill that allowed us to bring the entire train. So mm. the Southwest doesn't produce any grain. So we have a train to part Iowa every three weeks, and the entire 110 cars come to come to our farm and un- and we unload. We send it back to get another load. So. Huh. Um, that's everything that we do is to try to gain a little efficiency and and, and try to reduce our, our cost of production. You know, something else interesting on your website, uh, you talk about a reentry program and having a significant amount of hiring among the formerly incarcerated. Talk to us about what should people know or what should policymakers know about creating jobs and the opportunity in this area? Because I think it's really interesting. And of course, with the sort of supposedly very tight labor markets, I imagine you have a lot of uh, employers trying to look for pools of potential labor that they perhaps hadn't considered before. Joe, we we started our our, our program in 1995. And wow. when we started, uh, you know, re-employing uh, ex-inmates. And you had to remember that very few, very, very few 
uh, inmates get life sentences. So everybody is going to be released from prison at some point in time. Agriculture sometimes is not seen as the most attractive job out there. So it's always been difficult to get labor to work with animals and they're, you know, they're dusty, they're smelly, all those kind of things. So we've been a, a an employer of, of, of ex-inmates since then. We actually have a, uh, a full-time manager who, um, if need be, he'll pick them up at, on their release date. He'll take them into town. He'll get them a, a ID, you know, their social security number again, and those kind of things. And we have we have 40 what we refer to as transitional housing apartments that we allow them to live there for a, a, a stipend and uh, for one year. And if they'll if they'll leave between nine and 15 months, we give them half their rent back. We want to continue their transition into society, not just you know go from one institution to another. And it's been very very successful. And and we've got a lot of folks who you know, probably wouldn't have had as many opportunities that they're working for us post uh, release. And even after they uh, we've had we've had inmates, uh, you know, working for us for 20 years and wow. raising families and paying taxes. Um, Glenn, very important question. But, you know, we talked about uh, wholesale egg prices starting to turn down now. What are you seeing in terms of the trajectory? Are we going to mm. see egg prices go back to where they were, you know, a year ago? How quickly is that going to unfold? I'm probably not a very good predictor when when and probably every investor shares a little bit of this. When things are really, really bad, you can't see the end of it. And when things are really, really good, you can't see the end of it. Mm. And so we're in a correction phase right now where that where that corrects to is anybody's guess. I suspect that we will we will correct to a level that is is probably higher than what we've saw in the previous three years, but less than what we saw in the previous you know couple months. Got it. Can I ask? Uh, I want to I want to have a couple minutes for advice on Tracy's uh, egg operation. But before we do, you know, you're in Arizona, and um, I'm curious about how big of a deal water is or how and you know there's all there's so much development in arizona both from housing there's all these semiconductor factories coming in that employ a lot of or that need a lot of water to wash the silicon etc can you talk a little bit about the significance of uh, water in your business and how you think about like maintaining a future uh, sort of like secure water supply so that uh, you can continue with your farm over time Joe, water has been an issue in Arizona ever since the Hohokam Indians started digging ditches. And so um, it's going to continue to be an issue. It's uh, no one wants to admit that there may not be enough. Our desert gets between six to nine inches of rainfall a year. And that doesn't support a, a lot of, right. uh, uh, you know, people or plants. And so we have to depend on either groundwater or or surface water that's delivered from far away. Our farms, we have the luxury of, of, of we drilled wells, we have hmm. uh, great um, aquifers, and we own the water rights to continue to, you know, produce all the water we need for, for our operations. Uh, so I'll, I'll bite on the, uh, the backyard chicken yeah. education. Uh, wh what chicken breeds do you recommend okay. for the best <laughs> um, egg productivity? Uh, Tracy 
if you're not going to allow me from dissuading you from from uh, <laughs> an egg farmer, then it just depends. Uh, the the virtually all the commercial layers are either a white legern or brown legern that is uh, the most prolific um, layer. And that when we say prolific, it what we mean is it'll it lays the most eggs relative to the, to the feed consumed, and so you get mm. some of your some of your smaller breeds that that they don't eat as much feed but they don't lay as much eggs and you get some of the larger breeds like rhode island reds and some of those that are gonna are gonna eat more per dozen eggs so um if if you're if you're in egg production uh then a white lagern is your is your choice if you're if you're interested in 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 uh plumage or eggshell color then the sky's the limit <laughs> you're interested oh, in plumage and eggshell color? i am almost exclusively interested in those things and also building the world's cutest most adorable chicken coop um but glenn can i just ask why do you want to dissuade me from, yeah. from starting a backyard flock why is it other a bad than idea? that other than that she would be competition <laughs> um so you guys and everybody in animal agriculture really, really takes our responsibilities very, very uh, uh, carefully. And so when we take an animal, whether you're talking about your dog or a chicken or anything in between, and we take away its ability to forage and fend for itself, then we have a moral obligation to take care of, of that animal. So. You know, we see a lot of backyard pets and animals and those kind of things that the owners go away for a weekend and maybe they don't get fed, maybe they don't get watered and those kind of things. So owning an animal is uh, that especially, you know, um, in your backyard is something that you want to really think carefully about. And that's any animal, Tracy. So I'm just I'm just telling you, it might be might be easier to get a neighbor to watch your kids than it is yeah. to watch your chickens over the weekend that is totally fair and this is actually exactly why i do not yet have chickens but one day one day when you're not going back and forth between connecticut and new york city glenn hickman president of hickman's family farms i learned so much about the egg business from chatting with you really appreciate you coming on odd lots happy to for the opportunity you guys can call me anytime So, Tracy, you're going to hold off for a little while? Yeah, on, uh, I, I mean, look, I've been holding off for years now, so I think I can do it a little bit longer. But one day, one day I will have my flock of uh, Muppet-looking silky chickens. You know, it's, it's so funny. It's so interesting thinking about, like, animals as essentially these machines for turning, mm. like, grains into, like, really delicious food. Yeah. And the math of, like, okay, one... Uh, one chicken, one bushel of corn a year equals one human, about as much as a human would eat in a year. It's pretty nice. It's a nice little, it's nice, nice math there. Uh, yeah. And I mean, Glenn kind of touched on it, but the whole efforts of the industry to breed the most efficient chickens yeah. possible, not just in terms of egg laying, but also yeah. in terms of breast size and things like that. And that, that uh, stat about how an acre of corn uh results in four times as many eggs as it did in the 60s you know again that's uh, that's technology there we don't really think about tech right as mm. a uh, ag but that's like that's ag tech yeah 
Um, the other thing that was really interesting, and I hadn't realized that the past couple of years had been bad ones. No, for I hadn't the egg either. Industry. But then it makes a lot of sense. Why are we paying so much? It's every odd right. lots ever. It's that, I guess, yet another combination of lower production and supply kind of being taken out by the avian flu, plus rampant demand around the holidays just pushed everything up. Trying to think of some, like, egg-related pun on Perfect Storm, <laughs> you know. You can't think of any I, egg puns? No. Re- it's so per- easy, no, Joe. No, perfect- or should I no. say over easy? <laughs> we should leave it. <laughs> okay. All right, I'm sorry. This has been another episode of the Odd Lots Podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Follow our producers, Carmen Rodriguez at Carmen Arman and Dashiell Bennett at Dashbot. And follow all of our podcasts at Bloomberg under the handle at Podcasts. And for more Odd Lots content, go to Bloomberg.com slash Odd Lots, where we have transcripts, we blog, and we have a weekly news newsletter that you can get every week in your inbox. Go sign up for it. Thanks for listening. industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.